With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's business time, baby. You are listening to Solo Monster Sounds Off. It's such good shit. Mama Monster. Conquered! I like fighting a woman. You got grown ass wrestlers in the back going on Twitter. Come over here and fight me. Oh my God, we're only an hour in. Eric Bischoff is an idiot. We have two more hours of this. And maybe the single stupidest idiot that ever got into wrestling. I want out of my contract if I don't get what I want! <laughs> Welcome to episode 833 of the Solomonster Sounds Off for Sunday, November 5th, 2023. I am the Solomonster. I always love this time of year when we get to fall back instead of spring forward. We gain an hour. Never seems like there's enough time in the day, so anytime I can grab an extra hour, it's a good day. But I hope you guys are having a great weekend. We are, of course, celebrating 16 years of the Sound Off all month long in November. And I want to thank all of you for your support, including our PayPal producers for this week. You can always make a PayPal donation on the Solomonster.com. PB, thank you very much. The Portland pop star, Paul Hamilton. Night Stalker Nayef Al-Safar, the Chicago Slayer Willie Eichard, Velvet Revolver Robert Murray, Killshot Keith Hart, the Diamond Dallas Dance Machine Harrison Soap, New York Punk Arnold Modesto. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Keep posting those comments on Spotify as well. You can leave comments under each episode and rate the podcast on there. I want to mention this before I go on. House of Glory has a show coming up on Friday, December 1st called The Darkest Hour. It's going to be our final show of 2023. And no bullshit, it is. And I know I'm a little biased here because I am, of course, you know, not only on the, on the commentary team, but I am the commissioner. But as I look at this card, which is still not complete, we're still a month away. This is shaping up to be, I believe, the greatest card that House of Glory has ever put together in the history of the promotion. We've got Swerve Strickland coming in. Prince Nana will be with him, so there'll be a lot of dancing going on. He's going to be taking on Speedball Mike Bailey, coming off that outstanding match he had with Will Ospreay at Bound for Glory. We also have Mike Santana challenging Matt Cardona for the House of Glory World Championship. Charles Mason defends the Crown Jewel title against Carlos La Sombra Ramirez. This has been building for months. Cashflow Ken Broadway against Encore. We've got the grizzled young veterans free from the shackles of NXT and what they were doing with Joe Gacy. Now they're on their world tour. They're making one of their first stops in House of Glory. And they're going to be taking on the Tag Team Champions main event. All that and a lot more. I'm very, very excited about this show. And I hope that you will, if not be at the building itself, and I get to see you in person... Uh, you can certainly stream the show online on Premier Streaming Network. So that's coming up on December 1st. You'll hear me talk more about it as we get a little bit closer. Uh, but I am very excited about that. WWE held its Crown Jewel show in Riyadh yesterday. A very predictable show that had some good matches. But in a year of great pay-per-views, this was one of their weakest. Roman Reigns is still the undisputed WWE champion. He pinned LA Knight 
after three spears, one in the ring, one through the barricade, and a third one back in the ring. And with the assistance of Jimmy Uso. Stop me if you've heard this before. They had a very good match. It was marred by the usual bloodline bullshit at the end. They did give Knight an out after he dropped Roman with a BFT. He had him dead to rights. Jimmy, though, placed Roman's foot on the bottom rope. So now LA Knight has a reason to want to get even with Jimmy and the bloodline for screwing him out of the championship. As does Cody Rhodes and Jey Uso and Sami Zayn. And they happen to also announce War Games for Survivor Series. So now it is official. So there's your babyface team. Plus one. That plus one is probably going to be Randy Orton, who also has heat with the bloodline for putting him on the shelf for 18 months. Now, Roman Reigns is reportedly not working Survivor Series. He is said to be done for the rest of the year. No more title defenses, no more matches for Roman until the Royal Rumble. That is the current belief. He really needs to be at Survivor Series in that War Games match. Roman, Solo, Jimmy, you round it out with Finn Balor and Damian Priest. Balor and Priest have also been making Cody and Jay and Sammy's life a living hell over on Raw. Sammy even stole Priest's money in the bank briefcase when he tried to cash in on Seth after his match yesterday. There's your War Games match. Right there. Five on five. If Roman's not in it, they could slot Dominic in there. But Roman Reigns belongs in that match a hell of a lot more than Dominic Mysterio does. Roman Reigns against Cody Rhodes is the destination for WrestleMania. Jimmy Uso against Jey Uso is the destination for WrestleMania. They should be on opposite sides against each other at Survivor Series. By the way, Damian Priest is now the answer to a trivia question. Who appeared in the lowest rated Raw main event of all time? The answer, Damian Priest and Sami Zayn. Their match on Monday did 1.2 million viewers. That was the least watched main event in the history of Raw. We now have two part-time champions on SmackDown. Roman Reigns is one. Logan Paul is the other. He is the new United States champion. He beat Rey Mysterio with a pair of brass knuckles. Santos Escobar came out to stop them from being used. He picked them up off the ground outside. And what did he do? He placed them back on the apron before he went to go chase after... Logan Paul's crony, who brought them into play in the first place. Put him right back on the apron. That led to Logan grabbing them when he spotted them, and he used them to beat Rey Mysterio, knocked him out. Did Escobar do that on purpose? I think he did. And and that's been the obvious direction for a while now. It's Rey Mysterio against Santos Escobar, probably at WrestleMania. I remember a year ago, I said, I, I wanted to see Rey Mysterio and Santos Escobar in a match at WrestleMania one day. And next year is the year to do it. Meanwhile, you have Logan Paul, who saved the man's life during the match when it looked like Ray was coming up way short on a springboard moonsault. Logan Paul, two years in the business, had the situational awareness to slide in and catch him before disaster struck. Logan Paul is a special attraction, which means we don't get to see him on television on most weeks. And he wrestles very selectively. That's fine. Except now he owns the second biggest men's title on a brand that already has a champion who has defended his title a total of five times this year. And rarely appears on television. 
So I hope that Triple H has Logan Paul committed to more dates because otherwise, what are we doing here? Now they've already teased something with Logan Paul and Kevin Owens. So that could be a Royal Rumble match for the U.S. title. And L.A. Knight now has no obvious opponent for WrestleMania, but he should be in a big match on the show. A match with Logan Paul and a U.S. title win? That seems to be an easy choice to me. All the other titles stayed right where they were. Rhea Ripley retained in a fatal five-way match. Io Sky retained over Bianca Belair with an assist from the returning Kyrie Sane. No more pirate hat, no more pirate wheel. She had a new look. She celebrated with Io when the match was over, something Bailey did not seem to know much about. And why should she? Right? The last time we saw Kyrie on WWE television, she took an ass whooping from Bailey. The two of them aren't exactly friends. She's Io's friend, though. So it looks like damage control is on its way down soon, finally. You know, there's even talk that Asuka could be joining Io and Kyrie. Kyrie's last night. Where Bailey beat her up backstage? That happened during a match between Asuka and Sasha Banks for the Raw Women's title. And remember, it was in the empty performance center, and Asuka had to make a choice. Do I save Kyrie, who's up on the screen getting her ass kicked, shouting Asuka's name, as she's being thrown up against this garage door? Does she save Kyrie and sacrifice the title, or does she stay and keep the championship? That's when Sasha Banks became a double champion, like Bailey was. They had all the belts. So there's a friendship there with Asuka and Kyrie. They won the women's tag team titles together. Uh, it would make sense to put them all together if that's what they want to do. So it's great to see Kyrie back. Riyadh, not the place to bring her back. Not based on that reaction. That was a misfire. Seth Rollins retained the World Heavyweight Championship against Drew McIntyre. They win. Match of the Night Honors. It was a match that McIntyre, I think, had to lose to send him further into madness. Right? Now, who's next for Seth Rollins? Drew McIntyre is not done with Seth Rollins. Let's not assume that, well, who's the next challenger now, right? Drew McIntyre is the next challenger. This story isn't over yet. I think we're definitely going to get another match between them at Survivor Series. Because neither one of them need to be in war games. Now, Will Ospreay, who becomes a free agent in February, he's said to be seriously considering WWE now tweeted the eyes emoji after Rollins retained and WWE posted about it. And then Rollins, when he got back to the locker room after he saw this, and he responded, he told Osprey, the water is warm. You know, Seth Rollins wrestled Cody Rhodes at WrestleMania in a match that came together around the same time. I mean, the, the time frame here is is kind of eerily similar, where Cody, he was working without a contract for a while, actually, a few months at least with AEW. But it wasn't until January, February, things started to get serious, the deal was made. Well, again, Osprey becomes a free agent in February. I don't know if it's the beginning of the month or the end of the month, right before WrestleMania. Now, if Osprey were to sign with WWE, you know, look, it would be tempting to want to do that match. But if Seth is still the world champion come WrestleMania, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to do it there. And throw Osprey into a world title match right off the... I mean, that's not something that I can see them doing. It doesn't make sense. I still think he signs with AEW in the end. That way he can still work New Japan if he wants. Solo Sokoa pinned John Cena, clean in the middle of the ring after so many Samoan spikes. I just stopped, I stopped taking notes. I lost count. 
Uh, Cena did business on his way out. He put the young guy over in the strongest possible way. There were no shortcuts. There were no low blows like there were with Austin Theory at WrestleMania. There was no outside interference. No distractions. There was plenty of that on this show. Too much of it. The final four matches on the card all had outside interference of some kind. But not here. There was no happy ending for John Cena. He remains winless in singles matches dating back to 2018. It got very repetitive with the constant finish attempts and the the countering out of each other's finish. It's the very thing I hated about that second Cena-Rock match at WrestleMania. But it did what it was supposed to do, which was to put over Solo Sokoa and get his heat back after Cena called him a bargain basement Taz ripoff on Friday. I'm kind of surprised he didn't call him a bargain basement Umaga ripoff, given that Cena worked with Umaga before. Would have been a more fitting comparison, right? The guy has his taped up fist, the thumb, he uses all of Umaga's moves. And so that's likely the end of John Cena for now. That felt like his write-off. He was on the After the Bell podcast this week. He was asked about how this whole return run came to be. He said, well, that's certainly a happening that's beyond my control. I'm fortunate enough to have a lot of things on the movie and television side lined up, none of which I can talk about because we're in the middle of a labor dispute. Then the labor dispute happens and the Screen Actors Guild decides as an entity to go on strike, which either leaves me idle or asking questions of, well, what can I do? What is what is within my control? And I wanted to see if it was okay to come back to tour So we called the proper people at SAG. We got written legal okay that it would be okay to come back to WWE. And once I had that, then I could ask the question of, hey, WWE, do you guys want me to come back and hang out for a little bit? So here we are. Yeah, I would say that WWE would be interested in uh, John Cena hanging out for a little bit. (laughs) They're not going to turn around to John Cena and say, sorry, kid, we got nothing for you. They lucked out. You know, they got Cena for more than they bargained for. And at least in this case, you know, they made the most of it. You know, they used him to put over someone who they clearly have bigger plans for. And as this bloodline story progresses, Solo Sokoa will eventually see the light. Roman Reigns will lose Solo Sokoa. And maybe we'll be able to look back on this and say that this win over John Cena gave him, you know, that much more credibility that, unfortunately for Austin Theory, it did not give him at WrestleMania this year. Or if it did, they squandered it. I don't think they'll do the same thing with Solo. Solo is more protected than someone like Austin Theory is, for obvious reasons. My full thoughts on the show are up on the YouTube channel right now. One person missing from Crown Jewel was Gunther, the Intercontinental Champion. And there is a good reason for why he was not on the show. He is not allowed to leave the country for the next six months. Gunther gave an interview to the Austrian publication Krone, their largest newspaper, during WWE's recent tour in Germany, and he said he isn't allowed to leave the United States for the next six months due to strict residency regulations. Uh, Right now he lives in Orlando, and he said this will allow him to spend more time with his new bride, former NXT UK star Ginny, who he only saw for six months the entire month of October. What it also means is that he will not be at Elimination Chamber in February since the show is in Australia. But uh, he will be good to go for the Bash in Berlin because that show is not until August. It is ironic that their intercontinental champion is grounded in the U.S. for six months. Maybe he and Logan Paul could swap belts like Becky and Charlotte did. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Fox CEO Lachlan Murdoch on the company's Q1 conference call was asked this week about SmackDown leaving the network next year. And he was very blunt in his response. Uh, There were also a lot of ums in his answer. Either he's not a very good public speaker or he was trying to be as nice as he could be and was searching for the words that he wanted to use to be as diplomatic as possible. WWE, for those who don't know, they've already announced that SmackDown is leaving Fox next October. They're home for five years. As of next year, it'll be five years. And they are returning to USA Network, their old home, although not necessarily on Fridays. We don't know yet. So Murdoch said it came down to simple economics. We were not hitting the advertising numbers due to the audience of WWE for our return on investment to be above the levels that we would accept. But also, we didn't attribute enough significant retransmission revenue to the WWE either. So it made sense for us to move on. They've been a great partner for many years, but just quite simply were very disciplined and the ROI did not meet our pretty disciplined parameters So, we wish them luck, and we have moved on from them. Yes, you're dead to me. We've moved on. They sent WWE a gift basket like Derek Jeter back in the day. Yeah, it comes down to this. It's very simple. If you want to parse his words here, no matter how hot WWE may seem these days when it comes to its live events and the celebrity involvement, Logan Paul, Bad Bunny, right? All these people, they love WWE. They want to be involved in WWE. No matter how well they seem to be doing, all these cities around the world paying them to bring their shows to their country, advertisers still look down on pro wrestling. That's been the case for decades, and it really hasn't changed all that much. As much as WWE has tried to, somewhat successfully, but not totally, to improve its image and change its image. And we're not pro wrestling. We're different. We're sports entertainment. At the end of the day, advertisers still look down on pro wrestling. They look at it as low brow entertainment. And WWE can run from that label all they want, but they're still pro wrestling. And wrestling will always have a stigma attached to it. So they don't attract the type of advertising dollars that other sports do. You know, the ratings are important, not as important as they used to be. But to say they're not important would just simply not be true. If they were ranked dead last every single week, right, that would be a problem. Wrestling fans generally don't spend money outside the wrestling bubble. They don't spend a whole lot of disposable income on those other things that are being advertised. It's like all the shows over the years that USA positioned after Raw would go off the air using Raw as a lead-in. I don't think they ever really did all that great. 
with Monday Night Raw as a lead-in. The Ultimate Fighter did years ago because there was some crossover appeal there with the audience. That's the show that saved the UFC, and Vince McMahon is the one who gave the green light for them to air the show in the first place. This is back when they were still on Spike. But wrestling fans, they don't tune in in great numbers to the shows that air after the show is over. They just don't care. Wrestling fans largely exist in their own bubble. I mean, you could tell that just by going on social media. But they exist in their own bubble. They want their wrestling, and then they move on to something else. Fox was paying WWE $200 million a year and probably making back around half that on the product. They were losing money. Why? Because the ad rates were not what they would be for other sports or other really popular television shows. Even if WWE's ratings might beat those other shows, you know, Raw used to get preempted for a fucking dog show every year and tennis. But they weren't doing the kind of numbers that Raw was doing back then. I'll bet they brought in way more ad money than WWE did, though, even for half the audience. And that gets into a whole other discussion that I'm not really qualified to to talk too much about. My knowledge of how the ad industry and, and ad rates work is limited to what I know from my work in PR and just learning about ad agencies that do ad buys. Because there is some overlap there between, you know, the PR and the ad worlds occasionally. Uh, I don't think it's a case where a brand like, say, Burger King specifically says, hey, we want to advertise during WWE. Or we want to advertise during SmackDown. I don't think they pick out specific companies to advertise or specific shows to advertise with. Not unless they're the most desirable of television shows. Then you can do that, although it probably costs you more money. So outside of those very, very top shows, I don't know how these networks allocate which ads go where. These companies probably have no idea where their ads are actually running. But they can damn sure tell these networks where they don't want them to be running, like pro wrestling. Because to them, it's a waste of money. They're not going to spend money on our product anyway, so why bother? So here you have WWE looking to maybe double what they're making now on their next media rights deal, right? They don't want to go down. They don't want to stay flat. They want to make more money each time, right? They want these deals to continue to escalate. And Fox is like, well, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. We're losing money. We're not going to give you more money. Why are we going to pay you more? Advertisers aren't exactly lining up to promote their products on Raw or SmackDown or Dynamite or Collision or any other wrestling show. To them, it is still lowbrow entertainment. They don't get a lot of value back from it. I don't know what the demographics are when it comes to income. If there have been studies done, I imagine there have been. But wrestling fans in general probably aren't ranking very high on the income list. These are all things that advertisers take into account. That's a hard stigma to overcome. And when I tell you later about the NWA clip that went viral this week, it's not hard to see why wrestling has that stigma. Now the retransmission stuff he mentioned is a little fuzzier to me. I think that has to do with the money they get per subscriber from these cable providers to carry their networks. You know, how much they can credit something like WWE for that revenue, you know, when it comes to getting people to subscribe. Uh, Evidently not very much. And so, you know, look, wrestling can bring a lot of value to these networks. As a live show with no off-season, it runs 52 weeks a year. We saw that with the writer's strike and during COVID when everything shut down, wrestling did not. Wrestling kept going. But 
advertising rules the roost and Fox just got tired of losing money and the last thing they're going to do is pay them more money to keep losing money. You know, we're still waiting to see where Raw and NXT are going to land. It looks like they're as good as gone from USA. Uh, The streaming services are all in play, though. Shouldn't be that much longer before we hear about a deal. And we have an injury update on Eric of the Viking Raiders. He posted on Instagram Wednesday an x-ray of his fused neck. said, I cannot express the proper gratitude and thankfulness to the amazing Dr. Cordover and his incredible staff at Andrews Sports Medicine in St. Vincent's Hospital in Birmingham, Alabama, and to WWE for always making sure I have the best care possible. C6, C7 fusion surgery was successful and recovery begins now. I am excited for all the possibilities once my cybernetic upgrades come fully online. Eric's been out since September. Ivar's been getting a singles push on Raw. Ivar also had neck fusion surgery three years ago after a botched dive out of the ring. So now they're fusion brothers. Slide over to AEW here because we got to talk about the nature boy. Ric Flair made his AEW debut on last week's Dynamite. He was Tony Khan's gift to Sting. And in his promo, he said that he wanted to come along for the ride with Sting as he heads towards retirement at Revolution next year, probably in March. And that seemed to indicate that this was not going to be just a one-off appearance. Well, now we know it's not a one-off because AEW has signed 74-year-old Ric Flair to a multi-year deal with Flair's new Woo Energy drink as the exclusive drink of AEW. I thought White Claw was the exclusive drink of AEW. I guess now it's Woo Energy. The official announcement says that during AEW show dates, select host venues will carry the clean energy drink at concession stands for fans to enjoy. In addition, the beverage will be stocked in the wrestlers' locker rooms and will also be seen on the announcers' desks during live broadcasts. Now, Flair had told Fox Business back in July, It's me in a can, brother. That's how I define... He's hanging out with Hogan too much. But that's how he defines it. It's me in a can. You better keep it out of the women's locker room, then. So I had to look this up. I go on the Woo Energy site. They have the drink. It's like three flavors. I go on the site. I look it up. The ingredients include seven different mushrooms. Now, these are functional mushrooms. These are not psychedelic mushrooms. That would be pretty funny. I mean, they got the locker room stocked with this stuff. They're on the announce desks. They start drinking these things. All of a sudden, we go live on Dynamite. See, now that's a live Dynamite I'd like to tune into. See Tony Schiavone uh, tripping out on mushrooms. But they include Chaga, Red Rishi, Mataki, Turkey Tail, Lion's Mane, Cordyceps. Cordyceps? Cordyceps? I watched The Last of Us. I'm not drinking anything that has cordyceps in it. And go-to cola extract. Those are the mushrooms that are in the drink. It looks like it's only 30 calories per can. It's got 5,000% vitamin B12. 150 milligrams of caffeine. Ric Flair in a can does not sound very appealing to me. Neither does Ric Flair on AEW television. But this is something Tony Khan has wanted to do for a long time. He wanted to bring Ric Flair in. I mean, they've been friends for years. The only reason he didn't bring him in sooner is because the Dark Side of the Ring episode on the plane ride from hell dropped. And they had to distance themselves from him because he was toxic. It brought all those stories back. Otherwise, he probably would have ended up managing Andrade. If he would have brought Flair in for a special appearance or two tied in with Sting, 
you know, since Sting is retiring. That would be one thing. But now he's got him under contract for years. So long after Sting is gone, they're still going to be doing business with Ric Flair. I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being some kind of play for Tony to try to lure Charlotte Flair away from WWE when her contract is up, now that he's got her father and her husband both under contract. The Fightful had more details about the deal. Sources close to Flair said that his contract is similar to the one Randy Savage had with WCW, where part of Flair's contract was also a deal with the energy drink that would cover a significant amount, if not all, of Flair's contractual salary for AEW. So basically, when Savage left WWE for WCW in 94, he took the Slim Jim sponsorship with him, which was a very lucrative deal. Eric Bischoff has talked about this. He has said that the sponsorship he brought with him covered 100% of Savage's WCW salary for at least a couple of years. They basically got Randy Savage for free. You know, what Slim Jim wanted from them, Bischoff, he put a number on what it would cost. The number they gave Slim Jim was $750,000. That's the same thing Savage wanted from WCW. So they paid Savage three quarters of a million dollars, but then they got that same amount from Slim Jim to integrate the brand into their shows. You had to put the logo on the ring turnbuckles and the ring mats. On pay-per-views, there were no commercials. It was all stuff that was just integrated into the shows themselves. So the deal paid for itself. Flair's deal works in a similar way. And Flair has admitted that he and his business partner, they shopped the energy drink first to WWE. They passed. They were not interested. They have their own energy drink deal anyway with uh, C4. That started earlier this year at SummerSlam, so there would have been a conflict there. So he wanted WWE. They said no. So he went to Tony Khan, and he got Tony Khan to say yes. But the Fightful Report also says, with regard to why AEW signed him to a multi-year deal, AEW sources cited the merchandising potential, being able to use him for merch, action figures, and video games. You know, when Sting signed with AEW, I said the same thing. Why it was so smart for Tony Khan to bring him in. I didn't know how many matches he could wrestle. I didn't know if he would do anything other than cinematic stuff. But they were working on that damn video game, which took forever. And they were trying to get into action figures, which they did with Jazzwares. And I just thought, you know, having Sting's likeness, that logo, the Scorpion, the makeup, all of it, you know, having that for merchandising was the smart play. I had no idea he would be doing live matches and diving off balconies, too. But I thought Sting still had value. I don't see what value Ric Flair brings to AEW in a deal like this. Even if they are essentially getting him for free. Basically, if you think about it, it's like a Legends deal. It's like a WWE Legends deal. But I think they're overestimating his merch appeal. There's no evidence that he still has the ratings appeal that he used to have in WWE. They would trot him out there every now and then. And they would do a good number. There's no evidence of that anymore. He he comes in with a ton of baggage. And he just is not the same performer that he used to be. The man is 74 years old. He's lost a lot of speed on his fastball. He should never set foot in the ring ever again for a match. Ever. But he is very much open to the possibility. He told Mike Johnson in an interview with PW Insider this week. That he has been cleared by his doctor... To take bumps and perform in the ring. Cleared by what doctor? Dr. Robotnik? Dr. Pepper? What doctor? You know, there's a big difference if you watch Ric Flair 
at that match last year. And he likes to talk about how it was just dehydration and that's all it was. He was drinking alcohol all day, what else is new, and no water. So he was dehydrated. That's his excuse for his his performance in that match. He may train. He may try to keep himself in good shape. I don't doubt that. But nobody who saw that match last year, no one in their right mind, should ever even consider using Ric Flair in that capacity ever again. And I hope Tony Khan has enough sense to see that. You know, Flair talks about how he doesn't hurt. A lot of wrestlers his age, they're in constant pain. He says, I'm not in any pain. He still has all of his body parts, nothing artificial. No hip replacement, no knee replacements. You know, none of that stuff. The man was like Gumby for for so many years. No major injuries outside of the broken back from the plane crash. And a liver so black, Hulk Hogan banned his daughter from marrying it. He's got all of his original body parts, including his helicopter. He can keep that in the hangar where it belongs. But keep him out of the ring. He told ESPN he wants to be a heel. He wants to have a promo battle with MJF. Fine. MJF would destroy him. And that might be entertaining for one segment. I still don't see the value in Tony Khan adding Ric Flair to his roster. You know, when he brought in Ricky Steamboat over the summer, Steamboat made a few appearances, right? He took that beating from Ricky Starks, which wasn't even the plan. That still blows my mind, by the way. Steamboat said they they wanted him basically to go over on Ricky Starks at the end of that segment. And Steamboat's like, yeah, but how does that benefit Ricky? You know, I'm not going to be sticking around here. Ricky is. Ricky's the young guy on the roster. Why are we doing it this way? And he pitched the whole idea for Ricky Starks to whip him with the belt and get some heat out of it. And that was the smart play. It took Ricky Steamboat telling Tony Khan, hey, you know what? I think we should do it this way for him to be like, you know what? You're right. Let's do it that way. Steamboat is 70 years old. Steamboat looks pretty good for his age. He can still move around. He doesn't look like he's half dead. There are ways to use legends in that role and and take a few bumps if they can. I I just, again, I look at Flair and I don't see that. I don't see 70-year-old Ricky Steamboat. I see 74-year-old Ric Flair who looked like he was knocking on death's door. And again, I don't see the value in Tony Khan adding him to his roster. I don't see it. You know what I do see? I see that this week's episode is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Now, if you've never heard of data brokers, let me school you. They're basically the middlemen for collecting and selling all of those digital footprints that you leave behind. And they can piece together detailed profiles that include your browsing history, your online searches, and even your location data. And then they turn around and they sell your profile off to a company that delivers you a targeted ad. And that sounds all well and good until you learn that those same data brokers are also selling your information to the Department of Homeland Security and even the IRS. I pay enough to the tax man. I don't need him knocking on my door. So to mask my digital footprints, I protect myself with ExpressVPN. One of the easiest ways for brokers to tie your data back to you is through your device's unique IP address. We all have one, at least one, depending on how many devices we have. And they reveal information about your location. So when you're connected to ExpressVPN, your IP address is hidden, which makes it much harder for prying eyes to be able to figure out who you are. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of network traffic to keep your data safe from hackers on public Wi-Fi. That's why I use ExpressVPN on all my devices, phone, computer. 
even my Wi-Fi router. All I do is tap one button to turn it on and I'm protected. It's that easy. So make sure your online activity and data is protected with the best VPN money can buy. Visit expressvpn.com slash solomonster right now and get three extra months free through my special link. That's expressvpn.com slash solomonster. Expressvpn.com slash solomonster to learn more. It was confirmed this week that Brian Danielson did suffer his broken orbital bone in the collision match with Andrade El Idolo and not the tag team match the following Wednesday with Claudio against Okada and Orange Cassidy, which means they let the man work the match with a broken orbital bone in his face. Maybe it was one of those things like Cody in the torn peck where he was told he couldn't make it any worse so they let him work. I don't know, but that just sounds like a very bad idea. The spot came right before the finish where Andrade went for a spinning elbow and the two accidentally bonked heads. He caught Danielson in the eye area. So he either had surgery or he's, I think he might be waiting for the swelling to go down and then he's going to have surgery. And AEW is hopeful that he'll be back by the end of the year. And that didn't sound too good for his chances of wrestling at the Tokyo Dome on January 4th. But they must be very optimistic because at the New Japan Power Struggle show yesterday, they aired a video from Brian Danielson, who had a bandage over his eye, issuing a challenge to Okada for a match at Wrestle Kingdom, which Okada promptly accepted. Danielson in the video said that he's been in the ring with Okada two times, and both times he won. The first time Okada broke his arm, and he still tapped him out. And now he's got revenge on his mind and he vowed to break Okada's right arm so that he can never do the Rainmaker ever again. That's cold. That's cold. But I love that we're finally getting Danielson at the Dome. Hopefully. Hopefully, if he's healthy. Yeah, this guy has been made of glass this year, but it's just, it's something different every time. The broken arm was a fluke and so was the orbital fracture. And they've weaved it now into the Okada story very well. You know, they're crediting Okada with the injury and not Andrade. But the injury bug has bitten them hard recently with Danielson. I'm sure that changed plans for Tony Khan. It looked like we were headed for a Danielson-Malachi black match. And that's on hold now. Adam Cole's injury was also a fluke thing. And he was involved in the top storyline of the company. Right? That had to have wrecked whatever plans Tony Khan had for the rest of the year. The John Moxley concussion at Grand Slam, he called an audible and Phoenix got the belt. That was never the plan. They weren't going to put the international title on Ray Phoenix. Now it's back on Orange Cassidy. At full gear, they may just get it back on John Moxley and then pick up with whatever their original plans were. So I do have some sympathy for Tony Khan when it comes to all of the injuries. I'm sure he had plans for all three of them. And when they get screwed up like that, all at the same time, basically... It affects everything else that we see on television. It's not like it exists in a vacuum, right? One guy goes down, and maybe it's a small story. It's not a big deal. But when you got big names like this, these are big names. These are the biggest names in the company that are going down. It affects everything. It shakes everything up. Sticking with power struggle here for a second, though. I'm going to try to watch the Will Ospreay match against Shota Umino when when I can. I mean, I don't know. I'll see if I can find it, but... Uh, I heard the match was excellent. Another match of the year candidate for Will Ospreay. I mean, what else is new? He cut this incredible promo on uh, Shota 
at the press conference before the show. I, I would show this to anybody who claims that Will Ospreay cannot cut a promo, and I would call them a liar to their face. The dude was on fire here. He was begging, begging this kid to beat him and take his title from him so that he knows that New Japan is in good hands. He was talking like a man who knows his time there is winding down. And he ended up winning the match, which I figured he was, because I thought the match for Wrestle Kingdom would be him against Omega for the final time. But that's not the plan after all. They are using an AEW talent, but it's not Kenny Omega. It's John Moxley, who confronted Osprey after his win, and then both men were laid out by David Finley, who proceeded to destroy the IWGP US and UK belts with a hammer, like Mr. Perfect did to the Winged Eagle all those many years ago. And no, the hardcore title that came later was not the belt that Hennig destroyed. I thought the same thing for many years, but not the same belt. After the show, Osprey said that he wants Moxley and Finley in a triple threat match at the Tokyo Dome. That is not the match that I wanted to see. <laughs> that is not the match I was expecting. And look, if they're going to do that, I would rather it just be Osprey and Moxley one-on-one if that's the case. But I understand why they're doing it. I understand why they're doing it this way. They think that Osprey is, is, he may be gone, right? He's on his way out. Moxley, or even Omega for that matter, if it was Kenny in the same spot, they're not New Japan guys. They're AEW guys. David Finley is a New Japan star. They have to get the title onto one of their guys and they want to build their guys. I, I don't know that David Finley is that guy, but I get why they're doing it. And Osprey hinted at a completely new title being created now. Everybody seems to think this means the return of the Intercontinental title on the white strap, which Osprey in the past has said he wants to bring back. I don't think it ever should have been retired in the first place. But I think in his comments he may have said something to the effect of uh, it can't be brought back, or if it can't be brought back, then he wants a totally new belt to be made. So it may not be the IC title that's coming back. Now, AEW hyped all week that Tony Khan would have an important announcement to make on Wednesday's Dynamite. On their social media, they promoted it as a huge announcement. That was the word they used. Huge. We know how much Tony Khan loves his major announcements. He announced his purchase of Ring of Honor on television, which I think would qualify as big news. He announced the creation of the TBS Championship. Remember the uh, the leveling up of the All-Atlantic title to the international title, which that was not a major announcement. The first Forbidden Door, which was a big deal, right? Doing a joint pay-per-view in New Japan. He announced the debut of their all-access reality show, which was I, that was kind of a dud. He said he had a blockbuster announcement about a new AEW program. That was Collision. And, and yes, that was a big deal. Adding a new live weekly show. One that was supposed to be anchored by CM Punk, which it was, until it wasn't. Uh, I would say that's a big deal. So I'm not saying that most of these weren't important announcements to the company, but there are ways to make these announcements without hyping them all up for a ratings grab, which is all this was. That's all this announcement was on Wednesday. Pure and simple. And the way it was promoted, it was a cheap rating stunt. It was Tony Khan standing in the bag with Nigel McGuinness, putting over their Wembley Stadium show and announcing that tickets for next year's All In, which is almost a year away, will be going on sale on December 1st. And fans can get early access to tickets by signing up for the presale. 
Tickets going on sale next month for a show next August is not a huge announcement. I don't care what country that show is running in. Believe me, I would keep that same energy if it was for a show here in the States just as much as I would for one in the UK or anywhere else. Case in point, WWE just announced its first ever PLE from Germany, right? Which is also next August, actually the week after All In. Did they add to the Raw preview or the SmackDown preview that week that Triple H would have a major announcement to make? No. Partially because it was already announced earlier in the day. But no, they didn't do that. They had Michael Cole during the show that night mention it. That's what they should have done here. Announcing the first Wembley uh, Stadium show on on television, that would have been a big deal. Announcing a streaming deal for their pay-per-views and their entire library and maybe Ring of Honor too, that would be a big deal. Announcing a big free agent signing coming soon to AEW television, that would be a big deal. This was not a big deal. And these constant big announcements are just a parody at this point. I want to stay on the subject of Tony Khan here just for a few minutes. Because all I have seen all week long... Now, that episode of Dynamite on Wednesday was no good. I didn't like that episode. Definitely one of the weaker shows that they have done. But coming out of that show, there seems to be this pile-on effect going on on social media. I'm seeing it mostly on Twitter. I I, I can't vouch for uh, TikTok or any of these other platforms that are out there that I don't pay as much attention to. But on social media, from what I've been seeing all week long, there were people talking almost in a doomsday fashion about the fate of AEW after you know this, this episode of Dynamite on Wednesday and some of Tony Khan's recent booking. All of the doomsday discourse on social media that I have seen. And I chimed in and I said this. I said one bad episode or one boring episode. And then I had AEW fans attacking me for this, by the way. What are you talking about a bad episode? That was a great episode of Dynamite. There was a lot of story on that episode. No, it was a bad episode of Dynamite. If you don't like it, tough shit. It was fucking boring. One bad or boring episode of Dynamite does not mean that AEW is dead. Or two or three. Do you know how many fucking terrible episodes of Raw that I have sat through over the years? There was a period four or five years ago where that show was as bad as it has ever been. And they should know better because they've been doing this a hell of a lot longer than AEW has. Now, I agree that Tony Khan has made a lot of questionable decisions, questionable booking decisions, questionable hiring decisions. But to listen to some of the commentary that I have been hearing from other content creators and from randos online, you would think that AEW has one foot in the grave. They should just fold up shop right now. Board up the doors. Cody Rhodes leaving AEW was a big loss, especially in hindsight. That was a big loss for AEW. They lost some of their identity with that loss. Brawl out and the chaos and the drama that resulted from it was a punch to the gut that AEW still has not completely recovered from. And I made this point the other day. Triple H gaining more creative power in WWE absolutely took away one of AEW's major talking points that they were the alternative to WWE and some of the garbage that Vince McMahon was spoon-feeding people for years. 
WWE still has a lot of booking problems. The repetitive interference in matches, the distraction finishes, that stuff hasn't gotten much better. But the product is overall better now than it was when Vince McMahon had his thumb on everything. And using Vince McMahon as the big bad wolf, it just doesn't work anymore. The boogeyman is gone. We all know how these horror movies go, right? The boogeyman always comes back. But for now, the boogeyman is gone. It doesn't mean that AEW can't position themselves as an alternative anymore. They can still do that. But they gotta put the work in because they have a lot of work to do on that front. They feel less like an alternative and more like WWE light sometimes. Especially in a week where I see Ric Flair back on television or Ric Flair has signed a multi-year deal and then I see the big show back on television standing there barely able to move. Now with him it's one match. It's a tag match, but just the perception. The perception is not good. You've got Jeff Jarrett on television. You've got 60-year-old Billy Gunn as a champion. Christian Cage is TNT champion right now, but Christian is also doing the best work of his career right now, so I can excuse that. I would not say the same for any of these other people. Adam Copeland, he, he's had all of one match so far, but again, the perception is there that they're just bringing in all the old guys when they have this surplus of younger talents that are not being featured in a way that a lot of people would like to see them be featured. It's great that they have their world title on MJF. He's the crown jewel of that company. Sheeta is their women's champion. We got timeless Tony Storm. She's great. I love it. Ricky Starks and Big Bill are the tag team champions. Great. Chris Statlander is the TBS champion. Terrific. Although she needs a better story than just being on the... She's on the periphery of a story with Willow and Sky Blue and Julia Hart. They have to do better than that. I, you know, I saw on Collision last night, Jake the Snake Roberts was back on television. He has formed his own little army with Lance Archer and the Righteous. May as well, since they weren't doing shit with Archer anyway. Maybe that could be something. But you know, Jake's best days on TV are behind him. His voice is, is completely shot. I don't understand how you have Darby Allen last night with a bad shoulder, which they have acknowledged on television, still beating Lance Archer. You can't even give Archer a win when the guy half his size is hurt coming into the match. I mean, I get that Darby has a pay-per-view match coming up and Archer doesn't, but that's just ridiculous. And then his manager announces, immediately after his manager takes the mic and announces that he has a new group, right? Some great momentum there you just gave them. It's that type of booking that is just puzzling to me. But there are people on that roster who are not doing anything. They're barely even being rotated in and out. Tony Khan needs to do a better job of that. One of the things that some people complain about when it comes to AEW is the number of foreign talents or wrestlers from other promotions that they bring in to do TV. You know, to do these supposed dream matches, right? Not everything is a dream match, but... That is one benefit that AEW has over WWE. WWE does not play well with others. They exist in their own little world. You'll never see a forbidden door with WWE. I like the idea that AEW is willing to partner and work with other promotions. Forbidden Door is a fun show. But Forbidden Door loses some of its appeal when it feels like every week is Forbidden Door on AEW television. All of a sudden, it doesn't feel so special anymore. And you end up with a lot of people on TV with no build. In some cases, the fans don't really know who they are. They wrestle one match and then they vanish. There has to be a better balance there. 
But that's one of the characteristics that differentiates AEW from WWE. When we see matches with constant interference and distractions, you're no longer the alternative. You're a cheap copy. So yes, there are improvements that need to be made. And I hope they get made. These are things that can be fixed. Will they be? I don't know. That's not up to me. That's up to Tony Khan. But for the love of God, enough with all of the doomsday stuff. It's fucking embarrassing. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And this is almost too unbelievable to be true, but it's the same company that made Tyrus its world champion, so it's completely believable. I've talked about Billy Corgan securing not one but two television deals for the NWA with the CW Network. One for its NWA Power Show and the other for a new reality show. I guess it's going to have some kind of behind-the-scenes look at the day-to-day operations of the NWA and, and maybe Billy. After years on YouTube, the NWA finally has a TV deal. Or they had a TV deal. Because House of Wrestling is reporting that the deal is already in jeopardy after an insanely stupid segment that aired last weekend during its Salwin pay-per-view that ended up going viral on social media. In the clip, in the segment, Father James Mitchell was the master of ceremonies for the event, and at one point they cut to him in a private seating area near the ring, surrounded by a bunch of scantily clad women drinking bottles of vodka and whatever alcohol it was that they were drinking. Scantily clad women drinking liquor. All right, sounds good, right? Nothing wrong with that. With them were a bunch of wrestlers, I don't know who they were, but a bunch of wrestlers, they were very energetic. And the reason that they were all full of energy is not because they drank one of the mushroom-laden Ric Flair Woo energy drinks. The reason they were full of energy is because they were all snorting cocaine. At least that was the idea. I mean, I know Billy said he was bringing back the territories, but this is ridiculous. So the booger sugar was flowing, or some reasonable facsimile, but they were acting like it was real, right? I mean, it's pro wrestling, so who the hell knows? Maybe it was. They showed Mitchell with a spoon. He was snorting it outright on camera. It was very clear what they wanted you to think it was, right? They were passing it around. They cut back to the announcers. Poor Tim Storm. He wanted to be anywhere but there in that moment. He looked genuinely embarrassed to be part of this. He didn't want to have anything to do with this. House of Wrestling has learned that the cocaine spot upset some of the higher-ups at the CW. And they're told that the spot was Billy Corgan's idea, and he pushed for it to be on the pay-per-view. And they're told that there is now an active push by those higher-ups at the CW to have the NWA's content aired solely on their CW app 
and not on their actual television airwaves. The story says, quote, When negotiations were ongoing to bring the NWA to the CW, Corgan was told that the network would not be watching the pay-per-views and would only be concerned with what happened on the television show airing on their platform. That changed following the cocaine spot as the CW, which fans knew would be the new home for the NWA, was flooded with social media comments. House of Wrestling was told there is now a 90% chance that the NWA reality show and power will air on the CW app and not on TV. This is unreal. We also learned that the reality show was fully paid for by Corgan, the executive producer of the series, and he has the final creative say on it. We are told that the CW did not pay for the reality series and would profit from it by selling ads. Corgan is optimistic that the exposure of being on the CW will lead to higher ticket sales for NWA events on top of improved merchandise sales. There is also the potential that if the first season of the reality series is successful, there could be guaranteed money for season two. One of the big selling points for the CW to get behind the reality series was that Corgan said his recent wedding would be part of it, something they were excited to air. The other pro wrestling aspects of the series, along with the added power deal, all were agreed to under the understanding that the CW would be able to air the Corgan wedding footage. So it sounds like the entire deal is just Billy buying time on the network. Maybe not for power, but it it, kind of sounds that way, that the entire deal is him buying time on the network, not the network paying him for the content. So the network was more interested in airing Billy Corgan's wedding than they were his actual wrestling product. And now they may not air either one. The entire point of the deal was that the NWA would be getting on what Corgan called a top 20 network They would be better off staying on YouTube than being stuck on the CW app. Good luck selling those extra tickets and building an audience on there. That, my friends, is what you call a self-own. Talk about shooting yourself in the foot. You better hope that CM Punk takes him up on that offer he made for that vegan sandwich. Bringing him in may be the only thing that could save this deal now. NXT Had another strong outing this week with Night 2 of the Halloween Havoc. I really enjoyed Night 1. More than Night 2, but Night 2 was also very good. Last week we had the Becky Lynch-Lyra Valkyria match, and we had an NXT women's title change. There was a tag team title change. And we had the in-ring debut of Brian Pillman Jr. as Lexus King. This week, it was Ilya Dragunov defending the NXT Championship against Carmelo Hayes. We had the finals of the Women's Breakout Tournament. And we had a wild match with the Creed brothers against Angel and Humberto. And we'll start there. The Creeds made their Raw debut on Monday. They answered the Alpha Academy's Open Challenge, and they had a hell of an outing and a win. So that's one way to use the Open Challenge gimmick in a good way, to introduce somebody new and put them over strong. Now, I believe that may have been their main roster call-up with Ivy Nile in their corner, but they still had a Tables, Ladders, and Scares match scheduled 24 hours later. So they were right back on TV the next night, and this was pretty crazy. Uh, the car crash match of the night, and a lot more dangerous than I thought that it would be. There was one spot that was insanely stupid, where Angel and Humberto had Julius Creed on the top rope, and they gave him a super press slam onto a ladder bridge, and Julius barely caught the edge of the ladder, but he caught just enough of it with his lower back that he's lucky he didn't rupture a disc few minutes later, 
Garza had Brutus trapped in a gory special on the apron when Angel came off the top with a blockbuster that sent them both through two tables on the floor. Brutus did the helicopter later, not the one Ric Flair did. He did the helicopter with the ladder around his neck, where he spins around. And the referee, the referee's in the corner, he's just frozen. He's like, yeah, I'm not getting anywhere near this. I mean, I don't blame him. The Creeds gave Humberto the Doomsday Brutus Ball, like they did to Otis on Monday night, but this time it was through a table, and they picked up the win. A crazy match, and a big week for the Creeds, who I think showed the world what they can do. They're more than ready for the main roster. This call-up has been some time in the making, and I think it was the right outcome to put them over strong again on Tuesday. You know, as good of a match as they had with Gable and Otis on Monday, Julius Creed is going to be the one to watch. Him and Chad Gable, one day are going to have a kick-ass match or a series of matches for the Intercontinental title. I do believe that. But hat tip to Angel and Humberto. I don't want to leave them out of the conversation. They were also great here. Uh, I don't want to give all the love just to the Creeds. You know, Angel and Humberto, they were underutilized on the main roster. Angel Garza in particular. I remember when he first debuted in NXT as as a single star. And he was doing the whole, you know, the gimmick where halfway into the match or early in the match he would rip off the pants and all the all the girls in the crowd would go crazy he just had a certain charisma about him that I said you know what they they could have something in him as a singles act and then they lumped him and his cousin together in a tag team and it's like they just forgot about them they're like all right well they're on job duty and that's about as as far as they can go and I always felt that was a mistake at least with with Angel and I'm not saying that uh, Humberto Carrillo is is not worth investing in, but Angel Garza in particular has something, and I hope they do a better job of exploiting that. And maybe an NXT here as a team, you know, they can be used more effectively, but if they do make their way back up to the main roster at some point, yeah, I would hate to see them just go back to what they were doing before. Dominic Mysterio against Nathan Frazier for the North American Championship. I like how he brought back the Prison Dom stuff. For Halloween, Rhea Ripley was with him, dressed up as the cop to unlock him. How many horny bastards do you think were watching this show doing the Dolph Ziggler? It should have been me. I'm the only one? Alright, cool. So this is a good match. Uh, there were a couple of sloppy moments in the middle, nothing major. Dominic retains and clean. There was a spot where Rhea Ripley, she tried to pass her women's title to him to use, but it did not work. He got the win anyway. Yeah, he needs more wins like that. Can't just rely on the Judgment Day every single match to help him out. It gets it gets old. It's already old. It's old with the Bloodline and it's old with the Judgment Day. After the match, Wesley returned. He attacked Dominic. He posed with Dom's North American title so we know what the next direction is now. And I would imagine Wesley is going to get that belt back. Braun Breaker made short work of Robert Stone who asked for this match because he has a death wish and because he wanted to get revenge for what Braun did to Von Wagner. He fractured the man's skull. I don't think I would be asking for a match against that person who just fractured someone's skull, but maybe that's me. It's always fun to see Breaker hit that spear. It's the best one in wrestling right now. Wagner, with his head still wrapped... Runs out after the match to make the save before Braun could kill his friend. This whole story is just, it's cheesy as shit. But they've been trying hard to get the fans to care about Von Wagner. I think it's been effective. 
But I have no idea if this is going to translate to the main roster. My guess would be no. You know, remember, Von Wagner is an undrafted free agent, which means he could technically appear on Raw and SmackDown right now if they wanted him to. I have no interest in seeing that, but if they wanted to, they could do that. But Shawn Michaels is trying. You can't say he's not trying with this guy. I just don't... Just don't see it translating to the main roster if they uh, take this same story and they do it up there. Chelsea Green and Piper Niven, they retain their women's tag team titles over J.C. Jane and Thea Hale, representing Chase University. J.C. expected Andre Chase to do her a solid the way that she did for him in his tag team title win last week. But he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't let her cheat. And so they lost. So there's trouble brewing there in Chase University. I thought this was solid stuff. You know, it's best when the titles float between brands. There was never a need for the, there to be two sets of women's tag team belts anyway. And they have enough talent in the division down there that I think Chelsea and Piper should defend there more often. As expected, Lola Vice pinned Kelani Jordan to win this year's women's breakout tournament. Lola is nowhere near ready to be challenging for the women's championship yet. But by virtue of this win, she now has a contract for a championship match of her choosing. Her and Electra Lopez, who, who's always out there with her, they should challenge for the women's tag team titles if they want to make people believe they really do mean something. Right? They should want to go after them. I want to take my contract and I want to cash it in for a women's tag team title match. But I also feel like she's someone who would benefit from there being a women's intercontinental title. It's like I said last week, with all the women's representation on these shows, I'm surprised Shawn Michaels hasn't beaten Triple H to the punch. And hasn't already introduced one on NXT. If they ever do, someone like Lola may not be ready for the top title, but, you know, kind of like Jade Cargill in AEW with the TBS title, which was basically created for her, something like that I think would work well for a Lola Vice, or a JC Jane, or a Kiana James. Carmelo Hayes and Ilya Dragunov, they added to their already very impressive list of matches this year, uh, really since July. This was their third singles match. I have all of them in the four, four and a half, probably four and a half star range. They just, they complement each other so well. And Dragunov with his harder hitting style, Carmelo has the flashier offense. We didn't get a totally clean finish this time, but it made sense to do it the way that they did because they've had this ongoing storyline of who attacked Trick Williams a few weeks ago. Was it Mello? Did he attack his friend or... You know, was it someone else? So Hayes went up to the top rope. He was setting up for that leg slice that he does off the top. When Trick Williams' music hit and he made his return, he walked out and he was burning a hole through Carmelo Hayes in the ring. And Mello was looking back at him and he had a look on his face that made you think, okay, maybe this guy might be guilty. That gave Dragunov enough time. It gave him the opening to make a comeback. He hit a superplex. And then the Torpedo Moscow for the win. After the match, Trick got in the ring. He brought Hayes up to his feet. They glared at each other until Vic Joseph said, there's something happening in the back. And it was Baron Corbin. He had laid out Ilya Dragunov, and that is how they went off the air. So they set up Dragunov and Corbin. They left us with a cliffhanger with Mello and Trick. Was he or was he not the one to attack his friend? Wesley is back, and he's going to challenge Dominic for the North American title. Lyra Valkyria is back on the show this Tuesday for the first time since winning the title from Becky Lynch. 
Tiffany Stratton is feuding now with Fallon Henley. Von Wagner wants to murder Braun Breaker. And then you have the metaphor stuff with Noam Dar and Akira Tozawa. I couldn't possibly care any less about that. Those Halloween skits they did on the show did nothing for me. They do campy stuff like that every Halloween. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I don't care about the Heritage Cup stuff. I just don't. And they're featuring new faces like Brian Pillman Jr. So it took a while. I know some people have told me, oh, NXT's been great for for months now. I, I was... Look, I was still pretty bored with a lot of the stuff, but lately, Shawn Michaels has found a good rhythm with the show. You know, it, 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 now look, the show is carried in part still by the veterans. It's not as if all the developmental PC talent like Braun Breaker and the Creeds, who didn't do much indie stuff, if any indie stuff beforehand, are the ones kind of running the show here. You've got Ilya Dragunov as the champion, Carmelo Hayes, Wesley, Tyler Bate, Noam Dar, they were featuring Gallus there for a while pretty hard. These are not rookies. But combined with people like Braun Breaker and Tiffany Stratton and Tony D'Angelo, they have a good mix now. And they're bringing back the Iron Survivor matches at Deadline in December, which were a big success last year. So I'm glad they're making them an annual thing. Let's take some mailbag questions. You can always email me, thesolomonster at gmail.com. Please include your name and where you are from when you write in. Start out here with James from Staten Island. When I look at how popular L.A. Knight is and how good he actually is in all aspects, I can't understand why there does not seem to be any solid plans for him heading into WrestleMania outside of possibly wrestling Logan Paul for the U.S. title. When I look at the fact that he is one of the only people the fans bring signs to the arenas for, his consistent merchandise sales and the massive pops that he gets everywhere they go, why do we have to give him the Sami Zayn treatment? Why does he have to challenge for a lower title when he should clearly be challenging for a top title? Now we have two. You don't have to rush out to put one of them on Gunther considering he's in the middle of a historic intercontinental title run. So why can't L.A. Knight win the Royal Rumble and challenge Seth Rollins for the world title and beat him? If you needed something big for Gunther, Brock Lesnar would be an adequate opponent for him to beat, possibly in a retirement match. Much like what happened to Drew McIntyre and Sami Zayn, I'm just not a fan of letting guys get over and then not doing something about it in a big way. And no, the tag team or U.S. titles are not a big way. So, Jimmy, let's back up a little bit here. You don't know whether or not they have solid plans for LA Knight at WrestleMania. This question came in before his match with Roman Reigns yesterday. Just because I've talked about him possibly wrestling for the U.S. title does not mean that he will. Triple H said months ago, good things come to those who wait. Right? I've heard shit like that before. But he said that about LA Knight. And he said he had a, there was a plan in mind for him. We are seeing that plan now. So who's to say that he doesn't have one for him at WrestleMania? Maybe it's Logan Paul. Maybe it isn't. But let's not assume yet that they don't have a solid plan for him. That's number one. Number two, they're not going to want to do babyface against babyface with Seth Rollins and LA Knight. They're two of their biggest babyfaces right now. I don't see them wanting to turn Rollins. But if a heel Drew McIntyre was champion, then that changes things. Now, you talk about, well, they could always throw Gunther out there with Brock Lesnar as an adequate opponent for him, like Brock is some kind of scrub. All the people clamoring for a Brock Lesnar-Gunther match, I hope they realize 
what they're asking for. I would love to see Gunther beat him clean in the middle of the ring, but Brock's booking history would suggest otherwise. It would suggest four minutes of suplexes and a win, or some level of bullshit with the other guy winning, and I would hate that because one of the great things about Gunther is that he doesn't follow the prototype of your typical chicken shit WWE heel who uses tons of interference and distractions to win their matches. That's not him. But I'm not sure that would end well for Gunther if they did that match, so be careful what you wish for. If the match is LA Knight challenging Logan Paul for the U.S. title, that's not a bad place for him to be. Logan is is despised. People don't like him. People would be clamoring to see L.A. Knight take that title away from him. They have not done as good of a job with the U.S. title as they have with the Intercontinental title, but that should be the goal. The goal should be to make it something that's sought after. They have five months to make you want to see that title defended and see somebody take it away from Logan Paul. And if that someone is L.A. Knight, then hey, every major star not named Hogan had to start somewhere. They won a lower card title before winning the big one. Randy Savage, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Steve Austin, The Rock, John Cena, all of them. Look at WrestleMania this year, the tag team titles headline night one because they had a great story for it. Ric Flair, you know, I've heard him talk about the fact that Charlotte and Rhea Ripley did not go on last on WrestleMania night one. He really thinks that they should. And now we know why he's saying that, right? Because it's his daughter. And he's always putting his daughter over. And that's what a father is going to do. But he said something like, oh, we all know why. It's politics. No, it's not politics. Going into WrestleMania this year, the clear pick to headline night one for months was the tag team title match between Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, and the Usos. That's not politics. There's plenty of politics in wrestling. That's not politics. That's common sense. They had a great story going into it, and for the first time ever, we saw the tag team titles headlining night one, because they booked them to be something important. Now, they didn't have any real plan on day two, (laughs) and then they woke up on day two, and they, they had no real plan for Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Everyone had their eye on day one. Day one was a great day. They woke up on day two and said, huh, now what? That's why their run as champions was so mid. But we're not talking day two right now. We're talking WrestleMania. LA Knight will not be challenging for the undisputed title. And unless he wins the Royal Rumble and challenges for the world title, which I also don't think is happening, if Seth Rollins is the champion going into Mania, then it's definitely not happening. Then he'll be on SmackDown challenging a SmackDown star, possibly for a SmackDown title. And if they continue to push him hard and the fans are behind him, then I think he'll be okay. This is a man who wasn't even on the WrestleMania card this year. So if he ends up in a championship match, let's say third from the top next year, you know what? That's not a bad place for him to be. Evan in Limerick, Ireland has a statement to make here. Feels very passionately about this. He says, I'm sorry, but Triple H is a terrible booker. Way too many DQs, run-ins, interference, and fuck finishes. I would even go so far as to say that he is Vince Russo WCW 2000 levels of bad. See, I only feel like the people who say that didn't really live through 2000 WCW Vince Russo levels of bad. Since I think the only reason people are trying so hard to convince themselves that he is some kind of messiah is because they had spent so long watching Vince's crap. But Triple H isn't much better. 
The shows are the same shows every week. Seth Rollins comes out doing his boring sing-song cackle nonsense. Paul Heyman cuts the same promo every week. The Judgment Day walk out taking turns saying something phony and surrounding the ring and then running away and ending up in the main event that ends in an F finish that we have seen a million times. The worst sin of all, he's boring. Triple H is boring. NXT was boring. And now WWE, which has essentially become NXT, is boring too. Interference, DQ, fuck finish, no shocking twists, no investable stories, no emotion. He's awful. Yes, but tell me how you really feel. Well, my my response to this is, I mean, look, that's you make some valid points about the interference and the fuck finishes and the distractions. You get no argument out of me. They still rely on it way too much as a crutch. But when you say stuff like, well, it's it's Vince Russo, WCW, 2000 levels of bad, to me, you lose all credibility in that argument. Because there is no comparison between the two. I would happily take a Triple H book WWE product right now over whatever Russo was doing there near the end of WCW. You could say that it was so bad it was good. It was entertaining in kind of an awful way. Uh, that stuff wears thin very fast. And there's a reason why that product went down so fast, so hard there towards the end. So I disagree with that. But your point is valid on the other things that you mentioned and the stuff that we see every single week on TV. It does get tiresome. And there is this over-reliance, I think, on, on certain stories to kind of stick with it. I mean, I'm, look, I'm all for long-term booking. Long-term booking is one thing. If you have an end goal, you have a story, right? You have an end goal in that story. You're thinking ahead by nine months or 12 months. That's great. That's long-term booking. Long-term booking, though, is different than the day-to-day, week-to-week booking that we see on television with these individual segments that get us to that end goal. And he could be doing a better job, I think, of making things more interesting. I agree. There's always room for improvement in that way. There are some weeks where it's like, I feel like I'm watching the same show from the week before. I feel like deja vu. But you say that NXT was boring. You you don't specify which version of NXT you think is boring. Are you talking about the early 2.0 reboot days? Are you talking about the black and gold? Because if you're talking about the black and gold, if you're talking NXT from five or six years ago then I can't get behind that. That was the best television WWE was producing. Neil from Chicago with a follow-up to Tony's mailbag question from last week about how to get to Cody Rhodes and his match with Roman Reigns at WrestleMania without winning the Royal Rumble or the Elimination Chamber. This is what Neil has to say. My idea isn't the flashiest or the most complicated, but I think it could work. Sorry, Gunther fans, but he does not win the Royal Rumble. L.A. Knight does. Knight decides to go after the world title. Is this Jimmy posing as Neil from Chicago? It says, no, Knight decides to go after the world title. This could lead to two interesting matches for WrestleMania involving him facing off against Rollins or a heel Drew McIntyre. How does this get us to Cody on SmackDown? Well, this involves brand loyalty to not the wrestlers, but to the GMs of each show. There could be a simple backstory that Nick Aldis wants both main championships on SmackDown. This leads to back and forth, a back and forth, between the two GMs, and eventually it is settled by a trade between brands. Raw gets LA Knight, and SmackDown gets Cody Rhodes in return. This can then lead to Tony's suggestion of Cody against Solo, with the added stipulation on Cody. However, Aldis adds in it. Now, let me stop there. What he's referring to is in the mailbag last week. 
Tony mentioned that Cody would have to beat Solo Sokoa if he wanted to get Roman Reigns a WrestleMania. So I think that's what he's referring to. But he says, however, all this adds an additional stipulation that if Solo wins, he faces Roman at WrestleMania himself for the championship. This could be the start of the friction between Solo and Roman Reigns. By the end of WrestleMania 40, you could have your top two babyfaces as the top champions on each brand. It's not a terrible idea. And, you know, to go back even to what, uh, you know, James was talking about in the first question. If Drew McIntyre was going into WrestleMania as the champion, and I think the chances of that are, are slim to none, especially if he hasn't signed a new contract yet. I don't know if his contract is up right after WrestleMania or right before WrestleMania. Uh, but they're certainly not going to put their world title on him if he's not signed a new contract yet. But let's just pretend that he, you know, wins the world title in the rematch against Seth Rollins and it's McIntyre going into WrestleMania as the champion. And in this fantasy scenario, let's say that Will Ospreay, his contract is up in February and he does decide to go to WWE. You could then do Seth Rollins and Will Ospreay at WrestleMania. Doesn't, you know, especially if the title isn't on the line. And then Drew McIntyre is the heel champion on Raw. If you can get LA Knight on Raw, then LA Knight could wrestle Drew McIntyre for the World Heavyweight title. But your 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 way of getting them on the show, though, with the, the whole exchange with the two GMs, it's a little clunky. I, I don't see that happening. I mean, Nick Aldis all of a sudden wants both world titles on his show. You know, why? You could always try to fill in the blanks, I guess. So, I mean, it's not a terrible uh, scenario if it were to work out that way. Um, but, you know, again, that idea that Tony had about having Cody and Solo in a match, and that that's sort of the last hurdle that Cody has to overcome to get to Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. And if Solo now has the ability to become number one contender by beating Cody... That adds an interesting little wrinkle to things, like you said, because now it's like, Roman, is he going to be offended by this? Like, what are you doing? Right? And Solo is looking at this and going, I could be the champion. I could be the tribal chief. Don't forget that segment from SmackDown a few months ago where the Samoan uh, necklace was down on the ground in the ring and Solo picked it up and stared at it before he handed it back to Roman Reigns. That was a tease for something down the line. Mohammed from Oman has been listening to the podcast for over a year. He says it's a great listen driving to work and back home. One of my favorite pay-per-views after Wrestle Kingdom is Forbidden Door. It's a great pay-per-view that showcases the best of New Japan and AEW. The issue with it is the random women's match, which just feels like it was thrown on there. How about instead of a random women's match at Forbidden Door, Tony Khan and Stardom put on their own Forbidden Door. Not only will it help the women of AEW, but it would also showcase stardom and their wrestlers like Julia, Tam Nakano, and Mayu Iwatani. Does this sound interesting, or is it just some fantasy? I would just question the interest level in doing a show like that, and what kind of business it would do. I I don't... I'm not enamored with the idea of having multiple Forbidden Door shows. I think if you could find that right balance, have one show have X number of women's matches and then flesh out the card with, you know, whatever other matches you're going to come up with and just have one joint forbidden door show that has some men's matches and some women's matches. I think that would be the better way to go. I just, again, I don't know what the, what the overall interest level would be as a pay-per-view in doing a show like that with, with a promotion like stardom and then whatever women AEW has on its raw. I mean, 
There's a ton of women on the AEW roster. They're not all over. And they're not all featured in a prominent way. I I just would prefer that they kind of condense everything into a forbidden door. I agree. They should do more than just one women's match. But to do an entirely separate forbidden door, it's like a you know forbidden door A and forbidden door B. Me personally, I'm not a fan of it. Maybe other people are. Roy from Bowling Green, Kentucky, in an alternate universe where Jay White decides to go to WWE instead of AEW, who out of the current crop of talent would you think would make the best WWE version of Bullet Club Gold? It could be NXT, Raw, or SmackDown talent involved. I was thinking about this. Jay White leading a Bullet Club Gold in WWE. Austin Theory, Grayson Waller, Brian Pillman Jr., since I'm allowed to take talent from different brands. I think that could work. I think that could work. And I think I think Jay White would help elevate all their game. Uh, Jonathan from Chicago. Buy or sell or giveaway on the worst WWE wrestlers to win a world title. The Great Khali's World Championship reign. Jack Swagger's World Championship reign. And Jinder Mahal's WWE title reign. All three reigns probably should have never happened, but which do you think was the best and which was the worst? Well, this is easy, because if you put the Great Kali as world champion on any list, it is automatically the worst. So the Great Kali is the one, I guess, what would you say here, buy, sell, or give away? I'm giving that away. I'm giving that away for free. I'm a humanitarian. I, uh, charity work. There you go. So we gave that away. And now on the buy or sell portion, Jack Swagger or Jinder Mahal. So we're talking about their reigns that they had, right? How long did Swagger have that world title for? It was only about two months, I think, right? Jinder was champion for six months, but it's just just fucking awful. You know what? I'll buy on uh, Jack Swagger and I'll uh, sell on, on Jinder Mahal. At least Swagger's reign was shorter. At least it was shorter. I honestly couldn't tell you a single memorable match, memorable in a good way, from any of these reigns. Not one. Not one. Any of the matches that Jinder had with Nakamura and all that, like, nah. Swagger. I know he beat Jericho, right? It was a cash-in, I think, on SmackDown. That right? was when Jericho's shoe, his dress shoe, went flying into the crowd. Uh, I, but again, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. You know what? Swagger was probably the world champion going into that fatal four-way pay-per-view they did at the Nassau Coliseum, right? Because I was at that show. And did he lose the title to Rey Mysterio on that show, or am I misremembering that? I don't remember now. He might have actually lost the belt on that show. Uh, Jerome from Sin City, USA. With an email saying, Bret Hart, the last true babyface. When Bret Hart won the title from Yokozuna... Until he dropped it to Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 12, was that the last time a true babyface was the face of WWE? Because Rock and Stone Cold were anti-heroes, while John Cena and Roman Reigns got mixed reactions from the crowds. Brett's run at the time was loved by the fans. Well, from the time Brett beat Yokozuna, he lost it first to Diesel. So you left out his entire year-long run as the champion there. Although I guess I can't blame you. Um, no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, look, you had Undertaker. You had Undertaker in 1997 when he won the title. He was a true babyface. People love the Undertaker, right? He had been screwed over by various heels so many times. The fans loved the Undertaker. 
So I would say Undertaker would would fit that criteria. And, you know, how can you ignore Daniel Bryan? How can you ignore that? Even Again, I know he was never truly the face of WWE. But still, I mean, you can't ignore Daniel Bryan. And the run that he had and the popularity that he had. He was more over than Brett was. Neil from North Carolina, and we'll end with this. I'm a big Ricky Steamboat fan and have a multiple choice question. I love multiple choice questions. A multiple choice question about potential fantasy matches for him. Option A, Steamboat against Eddie Guerrero. Steamboat against Kurt Angle. Steamboat against Gunther. Which one would be interesting seeing with a prime steamboat? They all would be interesting seeing with a prime steamboat. You know what, though? I'm, I wanted to say Steamboat and Kurt Angle. I think Steamboat and Kurt Angle would be incredible. I think I'm going to go Steamboat and Gunther, though. I feel like that would be an amazing match. I think their styles would mesh very well. Steamboat and Gunther would be my pick. If I had a rank, them, I'd go Steamboat Angle number two, and then Steamboat and Eddie at number three. So good stuff. Keep emailing me, thesolomonster at gmail.com. Not the busiest week of news. One of the uh, shorter shows that we've done. That plus, uh, I got to get out of here because they're going to be doing work. They've been doing all we, work all week on the roof here. They're replacing the roof, so they're banging, they're drilling, they're hammering, they're making all kinds of noise. I got lucky here. I got a few hours here before the uh, the real chaos begins. So we're going to go take care of that. But we'll be back next Sunday with episode eight thirty four. Of the Solomonster sounds off here as we celebrate 16 years of this show, all November long. Some of you have been with me since day one. That's crazy. And I hope you'll be with me for the rest of the month and next Sunday as well. And of course, on the YouTube channel all week long, we'll be live on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So until then, be well, stay safe, and I will see you back here for 834 next week. Until then, take care, guys. The Solomonsters sounds off. It's like these WWE stands and the AEW stands. You have these groups of fans that argue with each other all week long over the ratings. Like, look at this week. One side says, we won, we won, right? The other side says, no, 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 we had the better show, we won. Nobody won. Not a single one of these shows could crack a million viewers. They combined for 1.5 million. So what are we even arguing over here? It's like having two guys in a dick measuring contest. One, one's two inches, the other one is two and a half, yelling, we won, we won. <laughs> You're all a bunch of fucking losers. <laughs> the Solomonster sounds off. Each week, bursting with content. Podcasts, predictions, reviews, YouTube live streams, and more. Become a channel member for perks and follow the Solomonster on Twitter at Solomonster. 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 Solomonster sounds off.